Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Welcome to No Matter What. I am so excited today to have my friend Marcy Kindred on the phone today. Hi, Marcy. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Sunny, beautiful day. It is a sunny, beautiful day in Nashville. Marcy and I are both in Nashville, but we are social distancing, which we'll get more into later. Of course, everyone is kind of social distancing still at this point, but Marcy has a reason to be very careful still. Marcy, you are a photographer. You're a teacher. You are married to Mike. You are mama to Teague, Trace, and Lily. You probably wear a thousand other hats that I don't even know about, but Marcy and I met years ago, I think 10 years ago, which is crazy. We met because we were hooked up with Marcy's twin sister to lead a small group of high school girls at a church here in Nashville. And that was some of the most fun two years in a small group. I mean, I became obsessed with you and your sister. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'll say, y'all were both just Y'all are just a little bit ahead of me in age, but you were already married. You already had both boys. Well, no, I think you were like on quote unquote maternity leave when I started. Yes. I think that's why I was connected with your group so that I could jump in and help you. And then like Michelle got married. And so she kind of, anyway, I was like the the substitute basically, but. You were the pinch hitter. (laughs) Yeah, hardly, (laughs) hardly. I was the substitute that like put in the VHS tape. But this is what I'll say. Y'all both were just a little bit farther ahead of me in life. And it was so encouraging to watch y'all kind of navigate where you were and think like, okay, Lord, like maybe I'll be where they are in a few years. And um, it just was like such a sweet season for me, I think, to be connected with some small group leaders that just had a little bit more wisdom and more maturity and all the things that you hope to have someday. So you were a gift to me. Yeah, uh, and, and you to me. What a time. I can't believe that was over a decade ago. I know. I can't. Okay, Marcy. So I texted you a while ago and said, actually, you texted me saying some yep. really kind things about season one of No Matter What and, yep. and getting on me about where the heck is season two. Yep. yep. And I responded with, well, why don't you be on season two? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan. Can I say that? Oh, yeah. I, I may not be able to play the game, but <laughs> I cheer in the bleachers with all the common folk. <laughs> please we are we are big fans of what you're doing well and it's just an honor to be here that means truly so much to me so I want to start with you you head off to college just kind of start us there where did you imagine your wonderful life going what did you think God would have in store for you oh my gosh well college is a magical time anyway right yeah. and so my sister and I were both in college in East Tennessee and I was uh, getting a degree in both photography and graphic design at uh, Carson Newman University. It was Carson Newman College back in the day. I also had a, a kind of a part-time job, but it was also kind of a scholarship where I had to pick a place to serve. And so I chose the church right next door on campus to be a part of and get my feet grounded in ministry. It wasn't something that I was looking to do full-time, but it was definitely something that I enjoyed. I met a lot of mentors there, a lot of friends there. And it was when I started 
serving in the church that I met Mike. Mike was a little bit older than me, but he was behind me in college because he had served in the United States Marine Corps. Love a guy in uniform and I fell smitten. I fell hard. We would both help out with the, the youth group on various activities and events, camping trips, and we just hit it off. And so we pretty much knew from the get-go that this was, this was a long-term kind of deal. To be specific, opposites do attract. And so <laughs> I'm, you know, the Enneagram 7, and uh, he's the Enneagram 9. And uh, we just, you know, whatever I say, he's like, yeah, that sounds good. But he is, he's an internal thinker. And um, I am not. I'm very external. And so that balanced our relationship. Yeah. But um, it also can create some challenges too. I am also married to an Enneagram nine. And I always say, I think they're the best type to be married to. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I yes. Mean, I, I, you yeah. may not uh, duke it out when you should. You know, I mean, and, yeah. I, and I'm yeah. an Enneagram eight. So like an eight okay. definitely wants to be married to a nine because... That means I just get to win all the time. So it, right. obviously I joke and that sounds very unhealthy, but it is nice to be married to nines. It's, it's so nice. It is so nice. So and nice. and, I, and I'll, I'll find out these, I'll have these crazy ideas and the nines are like, that sounds good. Let's uh-huh. do it. Yeah. Maybe it's not opposites attract. Maybe it's just, you know, sevens are attracted to nines because nines will give us the reins and let us go. Yeah. But anyway, we loved everything outdoors. We were very um, outdoorsy couple. He actually proposed to me. Um, I thought I was getting a mountain bike and he did the old swaparoo and it was a diamond ring. Oh. And um, as only a nine would, he's like, I hope you're not mad you're not getting a mountain bike. I'm like, are you kidding? I got a ring on my finger. Are you kidding? So um, just full story, he did end up getting me a mountain bike, but uh, it was just, he yeah, he's my kindred. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. But we did. We shared a lot for the outdoors when we married in 2000 almost 20 years ago, we, uh, we moved to Colorado and he had some work that he had to do out there for a couple of years. And then we moved back after that was done back to East Tennessee, where our family's from. And I still served on the same church that we met at and we wanted kids, but we also uh, wanted to enjoy that married life too. Yeah. So when we were dating, when we were newly married, we're like, let's give it five years, you know, let's wait, give it five years, see what happens. And so we just loved being newlyweds. We didn't just love each other. We liked each other too. Yeah. And so that was a really genuine, really motivational time for us. And we really learned how to be husband and wife together. So that's, that's our life. And as soon as we started trying a month into us trying, uh, my world came crashing down. Uh, you mentioned my twin sister, Michelle, but uh, she was living in Nashville. I was living in East Tennessee and she was struck by a man in a pickup truck with a revoked license. And uh, she was on her motorcycle. Um, they were out just driving around in the fall colors and um, she was flown to Vanderbilt. And uh, Mike called me on the phone. I remember his voice and it was very different. You know, when you know somebody for that long, he just sounded different. And he's like, you, you've got to go. I was actually on a mission trip with uh, college kids uh, to the Biloxi, Mississippi for Hurricane Katrina cleanup. And uh, he's like, you've got to, you've got to find a way back. She's not going to make it. So a beautiful friend, Stephanie, drove me back to Nashville where I met my sister, who was definitely in uh, the trauma unit at Vanderbilt. 
She suffered two brain hemorrhages, an open book pelvic fracture, crushed hand, foot, jaw, and uh, half her face was crushed. And so Mike and I were like, we know what to do. So we put our family on hold and um, we became her full-time caregiver. Mike and I moved to Nashville very willingly, but over a span of three years, kind of really put Michelle back on the map. Yeah. She she had a three-year road to recovery. And then what Mike and I jokingly say is that there's nothing God and Vandy can't fix. <laughs> <laughs> we And we kid with her. Uh, she had to learn to walk again, talk again, yeah. eat again. One brain hemorrhage is scary. Two is practically fatal. Um, and it did, as uh, you know, her, it, it did change her personality. Yeah. And, uh, we, we joke and we say we like 2.0 better. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's a joke, but, but the jokes in truth. And, um, she, she's amazing now. She's doing great. She's down in Florida with an awesome guy and a beautiful son. Yeah. And so we celebrate with her in that, but that put our family a little behind schedule of course, that's in, that's in my time frame, not yeah, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So um, as soon as we felt like she was good to go, we decided to start our family. And as soon as we decided to start our family, we had one. So God really blessed us in 2009 with our first son, Teague. And then 22 months later, Trace was born. Wow. So by TikTok. Yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> pretty, pretty easy pretty to get easy. pregnant, right? <laughs> Pretty easy. Pretty easy. God was like, yep, it's, it's time. Yeah, and I'm gonna so make this. Yeah. my sister, Michelle was an amazing aunt. I had another sister, Kristen, just an amazing aunt. Yeah. Of course, this was the first grandkid of the family, grand boys. And so it, it was a sweet time in our life. So you have two beautiful boys, a husband that you love and like you're in Nashville now where your sister is and what y'all decide let's have a third kid. Yeah. Um, I came from a family of three girls. Mike has a brother and, you know, we always debated two or three. It's like, do we add another for the mix or, you know, yeah. are, are we good? Yeah. And um, I just really liked that third dynamic. I, I felt like I believe God called us to have a, a third child and my, my two and we were on the same page. And so on January 6, 2013, my birthday. I found out I was pregnant for the third time. It was a beautiful gift that God gave to me. Um, And it was, you know, as Mary said, she pondered them in her heart. That was something that I specifically remember just really savoring it before I told Mike that we were pregnant, that out of my birthday, what beautiful news that we could share with the family. And so January, normal pregnancy, February is normal pregnancy, March normal pregnancy. And again, I'm starting the show. I've got two little boys that I'm trying to keep alive. Um, <laughs> and it was time for an 18-week checkup. It's usually the 20-week checkup, but our doctor's like, just coming in 18. You know, this is this is your third kid. Yeah. We're going to be good. So Hannah, I woke up the morning of my 18-week checkup, and I felt uneasy. And even on the car on the way to the doctor's office, I knew that something was about to happen. And I really do believe God was giving me a heads up. And it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't nervous as in scared, Mm -hmm. but I was definitely forced to put my focus on him. Mm -hmm. Mike met me there. Mike had to work. And so Mike met me at the office and we went back to the ultrasound. 
And I remember our ultrasound tech, you know, Mitzi, and she was cheery and pleasant. She started doing the measurements, snapping pictures, and then she told us we were having a baby girl. And I, oh my gosh, I was thrilled. I was freaking out. I am a boy mom. I've had two boys. I didn't really ever know that I wanted a girl. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a tomboy. Yeah. I love all things outdoors. And I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around having a girl, but at the same time, I couldn't imagine not being her mother. Her. And so I, uh, and Mike, we just, we were bawling. We were so excited. Um, Tears of Joy came out and then Missy got really quiet. She left the room and then she came back and then she left the room again and then she came back and she's like, we just have to check on something again. And um, it got real awkward. And then I remember a still quiet spirit coming over me. And it was as if God had nudged me this whole morning to be expectantly waiting for this. And I realized this is it. And so she came back and she told Mike and myself that there were markers that our baby girl was exhibiting. She said it appeared that our baby girl had a hole in her heart and that she was measuring extremely small. And so as a, a mom of you know, two boys with a third baby girl on the way, Mike and I understood that this isn't the normal routine. Missy then escorted us to the examining room where we met with our doctor. He gave us the news that our daughter had definite markers for Down syndrome. Now I got to stop here and kind of mention that only about 10% of all Down syndrome diagnosis happened before delivery, that they happen in utero. Wow. 90% of Down syndrome diagnosis happened after birth. I had no idea. Yeah. So here's what's really um, even a little more difficult. Of the 10% that are diagnosed before delivery in the utero, there's a staggering statistic that 70 to 90% of children marked with a chromosomal disorder are terminated. Wow. So if you consider that 70 to 90% of babies with a chromosomal disorder you know, are terminated, yeah. you understand that there's a lot of gravity and weight that parents are facing. But for our family, we knew that God was bigger than that diagnosis. Yeah. We knew that all life is precious that nothing was a mistake and that we were going to write it out. That being said, my mind knew that my mind knew that this was not a deal breaker that we are called to this, but my heart had a very hard time with it. And so would you say your mind, I mean, y'all leave that appointment, you get in the car, your mind was already there already like, okay, Lord, you're in charge. You're big enough. Or did it take time to get there? even mentally. Oh no. Oh no. Um, so I knew God could handle it. I just didn't know that I could handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, and I did not know where Mike was on this scale of this. And, you know, for our first two, they always ask when you're pregnant, it's like, and if anything happens, you know, you want to do any testing, yeah. do you want to do any prenatal testing yeah. Would that? Ch- and we're like, no, that wouldn't change the effect right. of whether we have a child or not. And this is the first time where 
you know, medically speaking, it called our bluff. And um, the good news is it wasn't a bluff. Yeah. Like it's, it's still, it still doesn't change yeah. the fact that this, this child is precious to God. Yeah. Um, we've got to get over what it is we're dealing with, but we know that this is for our good and God's glory. And so it wasn't an option to terminate, but that still didn't take away the weight of knowing that we would be raising a special needs child. The weight was overwhelming. I was in total grief and I was ashamed of my grief, you know, because head knowledge, God's got this. The heart knowledge was I lost the child that I thought I was going to have. Yeah. I, I mourned the loss of my perfect daughter. Yeah. You know? And so I would go into my bedroom closet. I would close the door. I would weep so bitterly. And I would, I would feel so guilty about it. This is a girl that like never cried. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Hey, the sun's shining. We're good. I mean, I saw and I heard and I felt emotions that I never knew were there, yeah. but I, I had to grieve the loss of a dream. I had to grieve the loss of the daughter I thought I was going to have. And I grieved the new reality that I was going to be living. Mm-hmm. And so, were you able to talk about it with Mike, or was it like you couldn't talk about it with anybody? So this is where it gets interesting. Mike very internalizing, sure, but I was very—I I had to process it. We called a good friend. Mike's like, "Do you want to talk to somebody about this?" Beside, you know, a little outside of the circle, uh, yeah, to to get some some hands on this and. Um, so that day I called a good friend and she came over and we just talked it through. Sometimes it just takes that to process. Sometimes yeah. it takes talking about it out loud, calling it what it is, surrounding yourself with people that are willing to help you carry that burden. Yeah. And, um, not that a baby is a burden. I cannot say that. I'm not going to say that, yeah. but the weight of the responsibility is. Sure. And I think that's true for any parent, really. But this has a little different circumstances to it. So I began talking to a, a close group of moms, and they realized there was something different. You know, Marcy's like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Where's the latest party? You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, she's pregnant, but her countenance might have changed a little bit. And so there was some little bit of concern. And with a close-knit group of moms, they really came through, really helped out. Although I had support of Mike, I had support of family you know I'm still a young mother Teague was five and Trace was three at the time and I was really angry at God really angry at God yeah you know I tried to keep a positive outlook but I couldn't open my Bible um I would go to church begrudgingly because I knew my head was like you've got to go but my heart was like I don't want to go so I would sit in the service and I would just weep you know, we went to the big, you know, Six Flags Over Jesus when there wasn't carpet, there was, you know, concrete. And I would just sit and watch my tears just flow into the concrete between the seats in which I was sitting. And I just was at a loss. I knew that God loved me, but I didn't think he liked me. And I kept asking why he would do this. Why would he do this to me? Why would he do this to our daughter? Inside, I was, I was dying. And God knew this and God saw this. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, I couldn't open my Bible. I was kind of giving God the silent treatment. Yeah. But God was never silent to me, I, I must say. He was always pursuing me. Um, and one night, Mike was asleep. He was in bed. And I had this green chair 
that my sister actually gave to me. And it's this big old fluffy eyesore, but it's awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't open my Bible, but it was the place where I would do my, my devotionals. So I'm like, God, I know I'm here, but I can't do this. And in that chair, and I'm seeing Mike sound asleep. I'm just sitting in the dark, holding my Bible, and just really praying. And I heard God, small voice, gentle voice, and he spoke to me. And he said, Marcy, he said my name, which I think was pretty awesome. But um, he said, Marcy, do not be afraid. Her name is Lily. I take care of the relief of the guilt, and I will take care of her. And um, that was it. And so I was like, okay. Um, and of course, that's based out of you know Luke 12. Yeah. And uh, it became very real to me. It became very real that he was over all of this. And you know, with my husband sleeping a mere 10 feet in front of me, me having this really hard talk with God, and God reassuring me in the heart of a mother that he's got this, meant the world to me. And so from that point on, things kind of took a, took a change, kind of heading in the right direction for me yeah. on a spiritual scale, on an emotional scale, on a physical scale. And so I actually became a little more at peace with what's about to happen and what's about to unfold. Do you remember at what point this was in your pregnancy? Oh, gosh. So we got the diagnosis around week 18, and this probably was about a month later. Yeah. He was pursuing me for probably a good four or five weeks. And I'm finally like, okay, if you're pursuing me, then let's, let's hear it. Yeah. What, what do you got for me? Because I can't comprehend what, what's about yeah. ready to happen to our family. So he's like, I've got this. And I must say, he is reassuring me of his strength. He is reassuring me of his support. He is reassuring me that he will take care of her. At this point, we are starting to put a lot of coin into the medical meter. Mm-hmm. of medical bills. Yeah. We're going to the doctor once, probably twice a week sometimes. Yeah. Um, we're having extra tests done. There was a diagnosed hole in her heart, which is ABSD. So we're starting to line up doctor's visits. We're starting to line up checkups. And I still have two boys at home. Yeah. Right. So even in the midst of everything that seemingly became chaotic around me, God was still in control. God was in control. He had my boys taken care of. He had our needs taken care of. He had friends around us, family friends that would support us. And so we started to see how God was orchestrating and reminding us that we were never alone. Uh, So Lily was born um, that August and the diagnosis of Down syndrome was confirmed. Um, Now a little bit about Down syndrome, the technical medical name for it is trisomy 21. Uh, And that was named after John Down, who first fully described the characteristics of Down syndrome in 1886. What that means is trisomy 21 is the technical name for having a third copy of the 21st chromosome. Typical people have two, and people diagnosed with Down syndrome have three uh, copies of the 21st chromosome instead of two. So basically, it's it's an extra Lego part, right? It's like it came in the bag. It's like, God, God knew what he was doing. So the third chromosome presents itself differently in each diagnosis with a few commonalities, such as the almond eyes and the smaller stature. Um, But what people may not know is 50% of children with Down syndrome also have some kind of heart issue. 
Wow. Heart issue is a it's a midline issue. So if you're if you're looking at your body and there's just that string from the middle of your forehead to in between your toes, everything is pretty symmetrical. But when you have complications in your heart, there's also a very small statistic that says you can have issues with your cleft lip, with your cleft palate and, and sinuses. And so we found out immediately when she was born that Lily couldn't suck and swallow. And after a little more discussion with the doctor, she indeed had a hole in her cleft palate. And so that was a little different for us. We weren't anticipating that. You know, you want all your babies to feed well, burp well, poop well. I mean, it's basically, if you guys can do these things, you're, you're good to go. That's great. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll see you for your first year checkup. Yeah. Right. And she couldn't. And so they watched her, but in the next day, day and a half, they also realized that she wasn't pooping. And so, of course, we were in Vanderbilt NICU at the time. And at day four, we realized that she had to have surgery on her colon. Uh, there was about eight inches of her colon that had died. And so they had to take out the dead colon and try to reattach healthy colon. It's called Hirschsprung's disease. And that affects about 2% of the population of Down syndrome. And uh, she was part of that 2%. Oddly enough, we, we have one uh, other friend who has a daughter, beautiful daughter with Down syndrome, and they underwent the same thing. So out of 100 kids, we know where the two are. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, NICU became a way of life. Yeah. We tried to be there as much as we could, not because we didn't trust the medical community, but because there was a lot of learning curve we had sure. to, to know. And so I've got to give a shout out to healthcare nurses. Doctors, they taught me really how to care for Lily. The hospital became our second home, and the staff there was our second family. We endearingly call it Club Vandy, (laughs) (laughs) and it really became a community. I also realized that how I interacted with the medical community was also a reflection on how God loved them. 100%. And so it was very natural for me to bring them into our journey and to speak on how God has been a part of it. How many days were y'all in the NICU? We were in the NICU 30 days. We would come home around 10, 11 o'clock at night, and then we would leave around five, six o'clock in the morning to try to get there for their rounds by sometimes six, sometimes as early as six, but you just, you've got to be there. Logistically, how do you even you've got two boys, you both have jobs. Like how do you even do that? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's number one, we had an amazing group of friends. I can't even begin to fathom doing what we did without our support crew. Yeah. They understood. They journeyed with us from putting food on the table. I remember this one time I came home and my bed was made. And I'm like, what? And I, and she's, she's a, an amazing bestie. She's an interior designer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what happened? She's like, ah, I just came over to clean your house. And I'm like, well, I can tell. She's like, I was hoping you wouldn't be able to notice. I said, I noticed. I, I said, my comforter actually fits on my bed. I, like for three years, I had put the comforter on wrong. And so, you know, the stripe went vertical and now it's horizontal. And I'm like, that's how it goes. And so we just had a really good team of people that were really good at what they were really good at. Mm -hmm. We could not have survived 
Um, You know, we had family members that would come and watch the kids. I will say we did have some prolonged issues with the boys. Teague was five and he could go into the NICU. So he had this comprehension of what was happening. Yeah. Trace was three and they wouldn't allow any children under five in the NICU. And so Trace had a really hard time trying to understand why mom and dad have always been there my whole life. And now mom and dad are completely gone. Yeah. Completely gone. And so there was some basically abandonment issues that he dealt with at a at an early age, yeah. but he has worked through that. I mean, and, and you think, well, what's it going to matter? They're three, but they, but it, it matters. matters, and they it know does. it does matter, and they know it's a very different lifestyle. Yeah, and you start to get accustomed to it. Yeah. That being said, we were there in the NICU for thirty days, and then we left. And then we came back when Lily was four months old for her open heart surgery. Yeah. We came home Christmas Eve, but Lily was still extremely medically fragile. So uh, along with the open heart surgery, she had the intestinal issues. She had the cleft palate. Because of the cleft palate, she was fed through an NG tube, which is a tube that goes up your nose and down into your tummy. That's how we fed her. And the boys were just used to... (laughs) <laughs> Lily and her sister tube. Sister with her tube. Yeah. Sister with the tube. Yeah. Yeah. Sister with the tube. And so, you know, our life just looked different. And I became a full time caregiver. Yeah. Fast forward, full time caregiver. Two years later, you know, I just fell into a fog. I mean, I was literally just trying to keep everybody alive. Uh-huh. And um, and at that point, is Lily still pretty medically fragile two years in, or had she yes. kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. She's still medically fragile. Yeah. Um, you know, we couldn't really leave the house. Uh, and I will say this with Down syndrome, it is a chromosomal disorder, but they're also wanting to push it for an immune system disorder too, because the immune system just doesn't handle bacteria and viruses as successful as typical children, um, typical people do. So, you know, it kind of took a toll. You know, I didn't feel like Lily's mom. I felt like Lily's caregivers. Yeah. I felt like her nurse. I felt like you know, every day I woke up, it it was a job. And what would you say, already talked about how your relationship with the Lord and your conversations with him have ebbed and flowed naturally, I mean, from anger to trust to grief, you know, all these different things. Where would you say you were at that moment with the Lord? Like, like, what did your conversations look like with him? You know, I wish I could say it was sunshine and rainbows. (laughs) I, I wasn't done with religion, but I was just, numb. Yeah. I knew I saw the physical presence of God sustaining us, but my heart had grown very hard. And I wish I could say I had a better outcome uh, during that season, because that was a season that I mostly regret. And that was a season that I I lost a lot of important things. But you deal with the stress and you deal with the pressure and you and you see, I mean, Hannah, life happened outside our doors. Oh, yeah. And our family just moved in slow motion. It just got tiring. Yeah. And I just got cold. You know, the stress just really overtook me. Yeah. And the stress overtook Mike. And about two and a half years in, our marriage broke. Yeah. I mean, it literally shattered. Stress is one thing when you're dealing with a medically fragile child, but it's also something else when you're looking at the compounding medical bills. You know, there's stress on our friends. Yeah. This is not a remission kind of thing. This is a constant lifestyle. Yeah. And so yeah. the friends that, you know, were there, gosh, two years in, good night. 
you know, how can, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to give. Yeah. And so things just start to get to our new normal, but even our social life, it was hard to leave the house. Yeah. Because nobody wants to watch a two-year-old special needs kid with a tube, you know, right. and you know, cardiac heart failure. Right. So the chance to try to get out became fewer and fewer and far between. I remember our first babysitters were actually some good friends that were certified nurses Yeah. that came over and said, you have got to get out. And they kind of demanded that we leave the house. Yeah. And so, you know, they're so dear, so dear to us, but it's also the stress of being a caregiver for so long. Yeah. You feel like you can't leave, Yeah. but it came to a head with Mike and myself and we really, um, we don't divorce, yeah. but we could be strangers living under the same roof. Oh yeah. For decades. People do it all for the decades. time. Yeah. For decades. Yeah. And, and that's what it was. And um, we sought counseling and Mike wanted to make a go of it. And I was like, no, I'm just done. Like I'm, I'm tired. Too tired for this. I'm too tired. Yeah. I can imagine you're like, I have nothing left to give. I would love to fight for our marriage, but I, I, all I do all day long is give to our daughter. Yeah. 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 And then we don't There's have nothing the, left. We don't, no. When we don't have the emotional energy for each other, nobody was a superhero here. Yeah. Nobody, nobody dug their heels in yeah. and put up a fight. We were both exhausted. And um, on top of that, during that season, we also got the diagnosis that uh, Lily was in cardiac heart failure again. And so the surgery that she had at four months of life, that hole got bigger. They said that that was a possibility as she grows, but you always want to think the positive. And so, you know, when we were given that news that, you know, good night, our two and a half, three-year-old daughter's in congestive heart failure. Yeah. It's like, where, where does it end? Right. Where does it end? If someone had thrown Romans eight twenty eight at you in that moment, what would you have said? What would you have done with that verse? Uh, actually, that's the one I cling to now. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's a good verse. You know, I it's true. Said, it is true. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Spirit does help us in our weakness. You know, we don't know what to pray, but God does work for the good of those who love Him. And you know, at that time, I'm like, I know you're doing good work. I just don't know if I'm strong enough for it. So you still had a conviction. I mean, even that to me is like mind blowing. I, I think most of us in that dark of a tunnel would be like, I don't actually know, Lord, if I trust you anymore, that you're good and you're doing all these things for our good and your glory. Well, here's the thing, Hannah. God was showing himself daily, mm -hmm. daily that he was there. And you saw it. I saw it. Yeah. Lil you know, yeah. Marcy, her name is Lily. Yeah. Do not worry. Yeah. I take care of the lilies of the field. I will take care of her. Yeah. To this point, he did not let us down. Yeah. But our our humanity let us down. Yeah, because we're limited. We are so limited. And I did not want to draw on the water of his strength. Yeah. I've always been extremely self-sufficient. I guess maybe that's being a twin. I can do it myself. I don't need my sidekick here. Yeah. But I've always wanted to be independent. And so it was at this time that God was like, you got to rely on me. You got to give 100% fully into me. Because I was still reeling from our situation. Yeah. I knew that this was for my good and God's glory, but I didn't like it. Yeah. So for two and a half, three years, I was still kicking and screaming. Yeah. It didn't look like it on the outside. They're like, oh, man, you're great. Yeah. But that's the lie. And I guess what caused insult to injury was when Danny gave us this congestive heart failure diagnosis to Lily, 
they said it was also very tricky and they said it was also difficult to repair. So we're also looking at the possibility of losing their daughter. Yeah. And, you know, they gave us, again, they, they reiterated the signs to look for. Um, and, and they, you know, they said it could be a week. Wow. Know, it could be a few years. And they said it's just a waiting game. And that's like four years ago now, practically. That's right? four years ago. Yeah. And so there kind of came this cloud that, you know, it's like, okay, well, we can start moving forward because we're past it now. Yeah. But when that becomes cyclic and we go back again, yeah. it's like you feel like you've gained no ground. There's still no light at the end of the tunnel. And Mike and I live with a daily possibility that we could lose a child. And it's kind of weighty. But it's also very empowering because when you realize that today may be your last day with someone, you make it count. When you have an atmosphere of change that drastic, you call in the spirit of God to have that joy. You know, joy is a gift, but not only is it a gift, it's a fruit of the spirit and it's a muscle. And so the more you work that muscle, yeah. the more your joy is complete. Yeah. So at that point, <laughs> I had to learn to trade in all my expectations and substitute it with thankfulness. And that's when God fully began to heal my heart. He began to restore my view of how I am as a wife, how I am as a mother, how I am as a sister, as a daughter how I am as a friend and how I'm his child. Because, you know, when, when you realize, and I think we all go through life, even uh, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I've got an expectation of this and this and this and this, yeah. and that's what I'm to do. Um, but when your life is so fraught by such a, such the gravity mm -hmm. that this could be the last day with someone that you love, those expectations don't matter. Yeah. And you become a conduit of thankfulness. Wow. And it's something that our family has learned. You know, we don't put off things like we used to. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Wow. We don't, you know, say, well, maybe, maybe next time. Mm -hmm. We're like, heck, why not? You know, everybody's healthy today. Yeah. So let's bring the love, joy, and laughter that God has given us today and celebrate it. And it has given us a whole different outlook and, and respect as to life. Yeah. It took a very, very, very painful journey to realize that. You know, and the, the divorce rate is extremely high with yeah. families, especially with kids. Yeah. And and it, and it's true and it, and it transfers expectations to spouses. Yeah. Mike is doing everything he can to keep the family afloat. Yeah. I am doing everything I can to keep the family afloat, but the expectations is where that raw rub is. And so to be able to change those expectations of, well, you should have done this or you should have had that or, you know, why isn't dinner on the table or, you know, why didn't really diapers get changed yeah. to thankfulness? Yeah. And uh, it really does go back to realizing that every one of our family members is a gift. Yeah. Every one of our friendships are a gift. Yeah. Every one of life's little surprises, both good and bad, yeah. is, again, for our good and God's glory. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to tell you about a couple things. 
one. Each month in 2020, I'm choosing a book of the Bible to study, and I would love for you to join me. You can learn all about it on my Instagram, and you can even download a reading guide to help you. The guide is to give you a super simple, flexible, and really a practical guide in helping you get in a rhythm of reading your Bible and seeing how it can impact your life. Second, I'm running a major sale on my book, The College Girl Survival Guide. It is the perfect high school graduation gift or just a sweet way to encourage a current college student you know and love. You can even ship the book directly to her with a note from me. Go to hannahseymour.com for more info and use the discount code no matter what, all one word, all lowercase, no matter what at checkout. What you were talking about, joy and gratitude, reminds me of two things. One, I heard Lisa Harbour recently say, joy is harvested in the field of gratitude. Uh, I don't know how many times I've heard someone teach and I can remember verbatim something they said. I mean, it's like so, but that, man, that got drilled into me. Joy is harvested in the field of gratitude and just the simple practice, because that's what it is, a practice of being grateful cultivates a joy in our hearts and our lives. And then my mentor, Annie, which she was on the podcast season oh, yeah. one. I, I know oh, yeah. you, I know oh, yeah. you listened. Big you fan. Were, um, He's my spirit animal. That yeah. So many people texted something <laughs> similar to that. I just loved, I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I had to share Annie with the world. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, she always talks about there's joy today. It doesn't matter if you are at the bottom of the deepest pit in the world. Yeah. You're alive. God chose to give you today. And there's joy in that. We can find joy. We, we might have to look really hard but we can find the joy. And I don't know, on one hand, that seems so simple and maybe even a little like trite, but I mean, I think that's the simple practice that we all have to do no matter what season. (laughs) The other thing that came to mind as you were saying all this, Marcy, was just the other day I wrote something about like, don't wish this chapter of your life away. Yeah. I think it's really easy for all of us to be in hard seasons and just like want this chapter to be over. And I just, I mean, I, <laughs> I imagined you at your two year mark with Lily seeing that on my Instagram account and like, probably like cussing at me. Um, Cause I, I mean, I'm like, yeah, well, if anybody wanted to wish a chapter away that, I mean, if anyone got granted permission yeah. to do that, I yeah. feel like <laughs> you should have yeah. qualified for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so what do you do with that? Even in those hardest seasons, you can look back and say, I know the Lord had something in it for me. I don't know. What would you travel back in time and say to yourself at the lowest point of this journey so far? Oh, gosh. You know, if it was me, if it was anybody else going through something similar, first of all, it's going to be okay. Yeah. This side of heaven or the next, it's going to be okay. When I got the diagnosis with Lily, I was talking to Michelle, my twin sister. I said, you know, our lifespan is very much a vapor compared to the eternity that I will have and share with my beautiful, complete daughter. And it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to believe it. I wish now for heaven. I wish now for completeness um, more than I have ever, ever desired it before because I see the suffering that Lily goes through. She's six now. You know, we're still in diapers. She still has a D tube, but she's now officially diagnosed with DSASD, which is Down syndrome autistic spectrum disorder. Nine surgeries. She's still in heart failure. She's on the high end of the spectrum of autism. She's nonverbal. 
Um, we do have some sign language for her, but she also has a tendency to self-harm when she's frustrated. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things. I'm sharing the story because it's not better. Yeah, I know. But I know. my perspective is, it's not complete, the side of heaven. Yeah. But my heart is full. I mean, how do you get there, Mercy? <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a lot of prayer from people that I will never know their name. Mm. I think, you know, God's people, God's word, God's spirit. I've heard that before. Yeah, haven't you, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's something very strong when the body of Christ gets together. There's something very intentional yeah. that happens. And there's a lot of people that, again, I will never meet, but knows our journey that is similar maybe a similar path or maybe a, a different struggle, but the same emotions, yeah. the same roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to be quite blunt, if you hadn't had difficulty or failure or some sort of distraught moment in your life, you just haven't lived long enough because mm -hmm. it's coming. Totally. I didn't really receive it well. I fumbled a couple of times on the big plays, but I'm slowly starting to understand that I can with joy and thankfulness, live a great life. The boys bring it up all the time. Of course, they're young and they're like, life's just not fair. Yeah. And, you know, they see a lot of kids playing right now. And of course, we're in quarantine and, and we can't. And I told them, I said, life won't be fair, yeah. but that doesn't mean it can't be fulfilling. Absolutely. And I think as long as you try to compare yourself with those around you, you will always fall short. But if you hold a mirror to yourself and know that God sees you, God loves you, and God will take care of you, that you are his lily, yeah. and that you are in the field, that he sees you, he knows you, and he is reaching out to you, whether you reach out to him or not, yeah. it starts to change your perspective. Um, it changed mine. And so as, as a good mentor said, if Jesus is in your heart, you need to notify your faith. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think there's a lot of sour Christians going around, yeah. you know, that their hearts are glowing, but, but their faces are stale. Yeah. And I wouldn't wish this journey on anyone, yeah. but I would wish the fruits of this journey on every single person. Yeah. God does work for the good of all things that love him. And it's called according to his purpose. And this is our purpose. You know, I work outside the home. I'm going to grad school. But my purpose is to glorify God and make him known. Yeah. And I never wish this platform. I never wanted this platform. Yeah. God in his grace and perfect timing gave our family a platform to shout from the rooftops that he remembers you he wow. cares for you he is in every detail with you nothing is an accident every single life is precious and every single life has a story and he died and rose again to make that story complete and whether we understand the full capability of what this is this side of heaven or not one day we will all be complete and as I, as I said to a friend of mine, I am especially in need, and I never knew it. Um, wow. I was depleting joy. I was in my own self-pity, which was paralyzing yeah. and paralyzing my joy. Lily was fine. 
I was the one in special needs yeah. and God knew that and brought me full circle. And I'm still learning. Yeah. You know, the journey's not over, but it's lived more with, I can't say faith because I always had faith. <laughs> yeah. But I think sometimes as Christians, we're stale and we're, we're done. Yeah. And it takes a new breath of life and grace yeah. to jumpstart off all of that. I was in cardiac failure. <laughs> And God revived me for his, his glory. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like I could talk, we could talk like eight hours about this. Okay. Let me ask you a practical question. Sure. For folks that are listening right now and they have a friend with a child with special needs, how can they be a good friend to that person, to that family? Yeah. I think sometimes friends don't know how to help. No, um, we don't. That's why I, I literally ask this yeah. almost every episode because it's like people want to be a good friend, a good neighbor. Yeah. They want to support yeah. each other, but we have, we don't know what to do and we're scared that we're going to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, I do think you have to kind of give space to that person or that family. Yeah. Everybody handles these things differently, Yeah. but I think you can interject when you feel it's appropriate. There are concrete things like people, again, they cleaned our house. They brought us dinner. They stocked our pantry. There's tangible things that you could do for a family. I was very, very shy to ask for help of course. because that's not my personality. Yeah. And so a friend literally had a, had a punch list and she's like, circle it. We're going to do something. What's it going to be today? Yeah, that's good. I will say this. If you're on the fringe of that friendship, yeah. A note would be great. Mm. An email would be great. A text would be great where you don't have to interject yourself yeah. unless they they follow through. But if you're in the heart of the situation, know that it's a marathon, not a sprint, especially in cases like this. There's people that are struggling medically every day. We see that now more than ever. But to some point, there is a flip side. But to those families where there's not a flip side, it's a new lifestyle. Yeah them and it's a new lifestyle for their family and so pace yourself yeah all you can do is offer and please if you ever feel the spirit nodding you towards doing something it's you probably do for it. the right reason you better, you better do, do it, it. <laughs> you better do it because there's a need there you know my dad reminded me the other day just the power the gift it is to call someone up and say, Hey, can I just pray for you right now? And just actually pray yeah. for them and with them over the phone. And it's just so funny because I, I don't know why I wouldn't honestly think to do that. I, of course I tell my friends, yes, I'm praying for you. And you know, I'll get, I, I got a text this morning. Hey, really need you to pray for the family today. This is what happened this morning. Please just pray. Yep. On it. That's why I say a lot. Yep. I'm on it. I'm pr- yeah. And I'll do it right then. And I, I will pray, but if you called a friend and said, Hey, I'm just going to pray. Can I just, do you have five minutes? Can I just pray for you right now? Yep. They will probably weep on the other side of the the phone. I mean, that's, that's a really easy gift. It might feel uncomfortable at first to, if you don't, you know, love praying out loud, I get it, but maybe get over that discomfort. I think it encourages people way more than we would ever, ever imagine. And it's the spirits prompting too. Yes. So, you know, they need prayer for a reason. Absolutely. And even, I know not everybody feels comfortable with this, but we were in the hospital so much. Yeah. The visits were amazing. Yeah. You know, it's hard to balance hospital life with 
the waking, busy, yeah. wonderful world that's outside our window. Yeah. And to some extent, we feel like the world went on without us. Yeah. And to be remembered and to just say, hey, I'm driving through the city. I, I want to know your Starbucks order yeah. or it's lunchtime. Have you eaten? I mean, it's hospital food, right? Yeah. So of course not, right? So any kind of, you know, I'm not going to stay long. I know you want something. Yeah. I, I'm just going to come by and drop, drop it, it off. off. Say hey. yeah. And then you let, they'll let you know if it's a good time to stay or a good yeah. time to go. Yeah. But it's the gift of hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I want to remember that. Okay, let me ask you about two passages of scripture. You know that I always ask, you know, what yeah, is the what's the passage you really clung to? And you've you've already alluded Romans eight twenty eight. That's kind of been y'all's verse. So I want to end there. Yeah. The first verse yeah. I want to pitch to you because I strangely was I don't even remember what got me on this verse earlier this morning, but I camped out in Proverbs thirty one twenty five for a while, which. Uh, is strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. That's the NASB is one of the few that just says she smiles. And then yeah. I like the NLT version. It says she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. When we were texting back and forth about this, however long ago that was, you were texting to me about Lily saying like, we literally, we just live like every day is a gift knowing that tomorrow could be, very different, but also have faith that God is in the tomorrow too. And I thought about, I mean, that sentence alone to me was so that proverb that she smiles at the future. She laughs without fear of the future. I don't know if you feel like that's, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like to me, I think it is true of you. I mean, how do you smile at the future? How do you laugh without fear at the future, knowing that you may outlive Lily? Yeah. You know, I think the heart of every special needs parent is that their child lives a long, beautiful life and that they live one day more. Yeah. And that's the gift. We know that life is not our own. We know that this is just a vapor. And when yeah. you live in light of eternity, your perspective changes, how you treat people changes. I can't say that <laughs> I've thoroughly grasped the full extent of those scriptures, but I can smile at the future. I don't have fear of the future because God has proven himself faithful despite my kicking and screaming. It's all about God's story. This is his chapter. We are merely a reflection of the story that he's trying to tell. And Lily's life has opened up a community to us that we would have never had had we not had Lily. Yeah. yeah. And I believe that despite anyone's circumstances, when you know, I mean, heck, we don't know the future. You know, so whether you have a lily in your life or not, we do know who holds the future. Yeah. And if you trust in the hands that hold the future, then you can smile at it. Mm. And um, I trust that. Yeah. Okay, Romans eight twenty eight. For we yeah. know that in all things, not some things, not most things, all things, God all. works for the good 
of those who love him he has been called according to his purpose how have you seen god use this whole journey with lily for your good for your boy's good for your, i mean for mike for your marriage you're like what i know you know it's you're still in it <laughs> we're still in it right but i think we you know i i teach college students uh and they struggle <laughs> i think all college students do yeah. but in my professional career working with creatives i think for my good i've been a lot more open to the hurts and struggles that they have there's a lot more empathy there's a lot more compassion that i would have never had wow. without the journey that i had with lily and that seems kind of crazy to me because i would feel like you would be looking at an 18 to 22 year olds hard stuff which it's hard and and there's a really hard stuff that you can experience at 18 to 22 i'm not trying to minimize it but it still could look like a hangnail compared to yours well and that's just it people compare the hangnail with like the sawed off arm yeah right pain yeah. is still pain that's right and so um, I have a dear neighbor that, you know, I, I have hard days. I'm not going to say, you know, of I course, don't. Of course. But uh, I have a neighbor. She's slightly more experienced than I. But she looks at me and she's like, I'm sorry. That's all I needed. Yeah. You know? And so just that empathy. Empathy is such a gift. And in my career uh, with Mike, to just be a lot more patient. Yeah. To find peace in our families to realize that the spirit of the Lord is in our home so close and to know that our boys are seeing that we can't, we're not distracted with a lot of bling and glamor that this world has to offer because we're so grounded in the daily big issues of life and death. And so our boys are able to see the peace that's in our home despite our circumstances and so that parallels on so many levels in their school life, in their friendship life, us as a family. I feel like our family is stronger. I feel like we understand more of one another, not because we're better parents, but because we're not distracted anymore. Yeah. I, I think Lily gives us the clarity to know what's important and to know what's not. Our senior friend, thank you for sharing this part of your journey with us. I It truly is a gift to me. I feel as if it's an honor that you could come on no matter what and share this part of your journey with us. Thank you so much for letting me share it. It's an honor for me. Okay, one last thing before you go. You know I always make sure our guests talk about some passage of scripture they really clung to during their no matter what season. And I have put all of the season one verses together in a cute, free printable PDF that I would love to give you. Print it out and put it somewhere. You will see it every day. I know it will encourage you and help you continue to renew your mind with God's truth instead of letting your circumstances dictate your theology. You can go to hannahseymour.com shop or find the direct link in the show notes wherever you listen. And speaking of where you listen, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, would you take two seconds to rate and review the show? It would mean so much to me. And you know, it helps other people find it. And hopefully they'll listen and be encouraged to be who God created them to be no matter what.